This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I am so emotionally confused. I am tired. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm hopeful. I'm doubtful. I'm curious. And those are all the feelings that I'm getting just because the NFL draft happened this past weekend. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on the uh, Bleacher Report app and on YouTube. Every pick from beginning to end, me, Connor Rogers, and Matt Miller for the first three rounds. And then after that, Connor and Miller took it home rounds four through seven. Some crazy storylines from quarterbacks that we didn't know if they were going to get drafted to when they got drafted to uh, overdrafts and trading and wildness and Roger Goodell sleeping. and It was a wild weekend, and I was happy to share it. Uh, This is how I kind of see today going. I want to do the whole national perspective, who won, who lost, what are the big takeaways. I am then going to have a conversation with the one and only Josh McCown. Yes, the Josh McCown, the same dude that tore a butt cheek in an incredibly heroic performance with the Eagles because, I don't know if you heard, but the Eagles drafted a quarterback, and I don't think there's anyone better to take me into the mindset of Carson Wentz and to the quarterback room of what's about to happen than Josh McCown. And uh, at the end... Look, I'm going to do a little State of the Union. I need to get off my chest. But first, I am so happy to welcome in one of the dudes that crushed it with me this weekend from Stick to Football, Connor Rogers. His New York Jets destroyed it. Um, Connor, how much is it relief from work? Is it like, holy crap, I finally have a GM that drafted how I wanted my team to? What is the, the number one thing on your brain right now? Uh, new excitement of players with teams. This is the feeling I get every year. A lot of people always say to me like, oh, the draft's over. Like, are you going to take a week? Or are you going to take two weeks? And I actually love these two weeks more than any other of the year because I look at everything and I'm like, oh God, that happened in the third round. I completely forgot. And I do a lot of these plus minus things left go where I go through, I do two, 200 players I rank, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and tell you I watched 600 players. I'm one guy doing a lot of traveling for Bleacher Report and all those things. 200 players I feel good about. Probably get to watch about 350. So the top 200 picks, I like to see where they were taken, where I valued them, and things like that. And go through all those show fans that, listen, you don't have to agree with my rankings, but in general, what players that you feel good about where you got them. So those things, scheme fits, what I'm excited about. Of course, the New York Jets is exciting just to see a guy like Joe Douglas execute a draft that had his name directly behind it, things like that. So, I and I like the post. Yeah, I saw a post on Twitter. It was like this happened eleven years ago, and it was a video of the Jets drafting Mark Sanchez. But you didn't see Mark Sanchez. What you saw was the crowd, and you saw Gary Vaynerchuk furious. 
And the thing is, is look, our two teams, the Eagles, the booing of Donovan McNabb, the Jets, yep. the booing of everybody are really known for our vitriol and the draft. And I feel like you guys nailed it. And I, that has, is this the first time in a long time it's felt like that? I think so. Without a doubt, actually, when you look at it, oh man, it's tough. I, I look at it, just the general optimism I've seen from fans, like even after they did the full Jets recap in the Bleacher Report app, I just made a thread of my thoughts on every single player. And even like, and I'm a positive guy, Lefko, e even for yeah. every team across the league, I, I like showing like why you should be excited about the draft. This and the one the team's plan. Yeah, Right. The one thing I said was like, you know, Denzel Mims, the reason he fell, teams had concerns about drops. And someone wrote back like right away, he only had four drops this year. He got so much better, like improving. And I'm like, he had seven. Like, but either way, it's okay. Yeah. Like, I love yeah. that. Like, they're excited. And that's good because usually they're not. You know who else had drops? I think Robbie Anderson, right? Anyway, uh, you did mention that you did like your top 200 players. Which teams drafted the most of your top 200 players? Ooh, I look at what the Ravens did. It was kind of crazy. The Ravens and the Raiders just kept capitalizing on value, and the Cowboys did a really good job of this, too. It felt like every time we kept flying the graphic on day three of Connor's top five left, and like Hunter Bryant just fell off a cliff and went undrafted. Uh, we're trying to figure out what happened with that one. But somebody like Bradley and I just keeps falling, falling, falling. Then the Cowboys take him. And you look at what the oh, Ravens real. do. You know, Tyree Phillips and Ben Bredesen, but obviously Malik Harrison about 50 or 40 picks later than I thought he should have went. Those teams do a really, really nice job of capitalizing on value uh, because they see the player fit in with their system perfectly or they feel like they can get them healthy uh, or take a risk on character and things like that. So those are consistently the teams that did a great job this year. What about the opposite? Who drafted the fewest of your top 200? Oh, I mean, Green Bay made some questionable decisions. You know, I'll say it when uh, you take somebody, I think it was the third round, they took Degura, the tight end, you know, out of Cincinnati, and he's not in my top 200. You sit there and you go like, okay, you know, I knew about this guy. It's not like I missed him. It's not like he wasn't on a list. It's just you're sitting there and you're going, you could have got a lot more value at the receiver class in this draft, and you opted not to. So I look at what they did. I was a little bit confused. Uh, the Colts are the most interesting one to me, Lefko, because they come at – and they actually scare me because I think Ballard and Dodds are so good that it almost makes me question my process. They come mm. out of the gate and they get, they get Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor early on day two, uh, two players I personally valued in the first round. So I thought that was great. Then they take Julian Blackman, uh, you know, about 40 picks earlier than I had him projected. Jacob Eason, I thought they got great value. Then they go back to the well of guys I didn't, I didn't rank, Danny Pinter and Robert Windsor. And you sit there and you go, man, I wonder what they saw in those guys that I didn't because I trust those guys. Well, what I was so interested is this, this really did feel like a draft in which the identities of some franchise were either strengthened or completely altered. And I looked at Indy and I think, you know, every time I've watched Indy these last few years, even with Andrew Luck, they were too reliant on T.Y. Hilton's health. And what we see with speed wide receivers is you're going to get about eight to 10 games. That's why I understand the Eagles loading up on speed. Anyway, so I look at them now and I go, you got Jonathan Taylor and you got what everyone calls to me the most reliable wide receiver in this draft, Michael Pittman Jr. And now that question is out the door. I'm no longer worrying about that. I love that. I look at, at Denver 
and I see for the second straight year just giving a surplus of weapons, like what they have right now on offense with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, with Noah Fan at tight end, and with Jerry Judy, Hamler from Penn State, and Cortland Sutton, you have a GM that has assembled a beautiful offense. And I, I think I look at I look at the Raiders and I go, wow, like look at all these multiple pieces and John Gruden's just getting himself weapons. Um, who is the one though that you just look at the fits and you go, this one excites me the most. I love the way their GM thought through this process. Man, it would go back to the Ravens and the Colts again. I hate hitting the same well. I think I love the Broncos draft. So we can go through a couple here. One, C.D. Lamb. Uh, if you want to talk about the most impactful pick in the draft, that's not like Joe Burrow, Chase Young category. C.D. Lamb to the Cowboys changes the entire dynamic of the Cowboys offense because instead of sitting there and going, hey, we need to get a corner here like we don't have a corner, they just yeah. added more firepower to a powerful unit where you're looking at it and you're going, okay, we like our quarterback a lot in Dak Prescott. We like our number two wide receiver in Michael Gallup. We paid Amari Cooper because he's a great player. We paid Ezekiel Elliott because he's a great player. We have a good offensive line. Now teams know what they're getting. You know, they need to find a way to maybe bracket Amari, have a good corner that can shut down Gallup or contain Gallup, and we need to stop the run. Now you, you throw C.D. Lamb into the, the equation. All that's, it's, all out, it's all out the door. Yeah. You can't load the box. You can't really bracket somebody because you have three guys that – I mean, CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are number one wide receivers to me. Michael Gallup looked like a high-end number two. So you're high looking end. at this offense and you're going, okay, we're overmatched. And then this goes back to something that the Jets did in the draft. They take Ashton Davis, right? Left going the top of the third round. Safety at a cow. Yeah. One of the best cover players in the entire draft. Everyone freaks out. They go, they're going to trade Jamal Adams. Why do they take a third safety? No, Greg Williams is going to play all three guys on the field. You need players that can run and cover in this league. And the Cowboys said, you better find those players. About CD. Um, CD to the Cowboys is one of those drafts that has really shaken me to my core. Because one, when you look at the Cowboys and what they're doing, they are balancing high salaries with impactful rookies on low salaries and the position groups are insane. You know, what they have with Tony Pollard and Zeke is a one-two punch where the salaries perfectly complement each other. Now with Amari Cooper and CD Lamb, they could both be there for four years and you don't really have to worry about CD and Amari because you got one making like a little and one making, it balances each other out. It's beautiful. Yeah, it does. But, But... I had, I'm, I'm not even joking that I had CDPTSD. Like when I'm telling you that seeing Jerry Jones looking like a villain in an Austin Powers movie floating at sea in a boat surrounded by white puffy clouds, knowing that he said in the beginning of the night that I am not, don't even call me. Scouting department, lose my number. It's my pick. And the fact that I know that Jerry Jones sat there and said, fire the lasers, draft C.D. Lamb. And for the next decade, I am going to watch those dreads going through the air as he dies for touchdowns and stands on the star knowing that the Eagles tried all of their might publicly to trade up and there were no biters at all. That, and then to go, you know what? I can have some salvation. I can have some salvation in Justin Jefferson. Some of it is going to come down because yep. everyone that I trust, 
Ewan Miller, Daniel Jeremiah, Chris, like everyone that I care about says Justin Jefferson is the guy. They could have said anybody. The fact that it wasn't that name, and it's mainly I still had CD standing on the star in my head. That's the reason I blew up about Jalen Rager. I thought about it, and it's, it's just – it's such a Dallas pick. It's like taking Jalen Smith in the second round. Yep. It's it. They just they take the guys that are the stars. And I'm not going to lie, Connor. I saw this uh, today, and I'm okay with the pick now. This is Jalen Rager. Oh, hold on. I'm an idiot. <laughs> this is Jalen Rager, and it, it it made me feel so good. It's like that's crazy. Like I'm gonna be playing for the same team my dad played for. And, like, man, I told him I'm going to wear this hat every day. <laughs> every day. Like, they don't, people don't realize, man, this is my dream. Like, And for me, the PFF community is like Jalen Rager's better than And I'm like, you know what, man? Him. I'm going to yep. come. Hype train. And it's just so funny that, like, I don't care how old I get. The emotion of a selection that I have no idea if it's going to be successful or not still completely changes my mood. And Jalen Rager could end up being the next to Sean Jackson, and I'll look back and I'll laugh. But it's just, it's Connor, just as a human, it's crazy how it impacts. You know what I mean? 100%. I think when you look at it, and I do want to touch back on something with the Cowboys, but before we do that, like I can relate to this left go because the Jets take Makai Becton, right? And he was my fourth ranked tackle, first round grade. Great player, love him, top 20 player, all that. But I was just kind of like, okay, cool, we got the tackle. And then you see Makai Becton, you know, training very, very early the next morning. You see Makai Becton on Twitter for every pick. The punter, they take the punter, and he's hyped on Twitter. And then they take one of his best buddies, Cameron Clark, to play guard with him. And you're like, this is exciting, man. This is what the draft is about. That's what's exciting. But what I want to talk about the Cowboys is what people don't talk about enough is the Jones family has like the best secret weapon in football and Will McClay that makes these picks. That's what it is. Tell me about that because it's, I went back and NFL on YouTube put out information about the general managers. And one of the things it says is you're trying to hit on a pro bowler with 10% of your picks. And like some teams are really good. And when you look at the Cowboys, they've had an incredible streak of picking these pro bowlers. I think it's six of their last eight or seven of their last eight first round picks are pro bowlers. Who is Will McClay? Yeah, so Will McClay is basically what Joe Douglas was to the Eagles. And when you look (sighs) at it, he doesn't get the GM title because of the Jones family. But every most teams in the NFL have tried or would love to try to hire this guy as their GM. But from what I understand is the reasons he won't leave is because one, the Jones family does take, they, you know, they pay him, they make sure he stays all of that. And I, what I've been told is he wants to stay in the Dallas area for family reasons. Uh, you know, I think he has a son growing up in the area, all of those things like that. So it's kind of been this perfect storm for Dallas where they've had this guy who is a scouting phenom, really a scouting wow. phenom that knows that it, his hit rate is phenomenal He's making all these picks. He's easy to work with. The Jones family loves him. He should be a GM. He should be running his own franchise. Yet Dallas has found a way to keep this guy, honestly, probably two to three years longer than they should have. And once again, they reap the benefits If you know you're not going to get fired and you're getting paid as good of, if not better than anybody else, and you don't want to be in the limelight. I've heard you say that about other guys like Dodds in Indianapolis. They just don't want to be the guy. And Jerry Jones takes care of you. 
and you're get and you're getting all the respect from your peers. Listen, at, not everybody needs the title. Like the defensive court, Brett Venables is a perfect example. He's good. And the thing is, is, you know, everyone's obsessed with the climb, but I think a lot of times they don't realize when you start achieving things at the highest level, you look around and go, what's giving me the best opportunity for success and happiness? It's not always about the business card. So I think, you know, and look, Jerry Jones takes care of the people that he wants to take care of, I guess. Um, there were a few other drafts that I'm curious I want your take on. Do you think Tristan Wirfs is the right guy to protect Tom Brady in Tampa? I'm curious to see how this goes. Number one, what he's going to do in the run game, and that's another thing I'm curious. How is Tampa going to be a, you know, I know they're not going to be a run-first offense, but with an older Tom Brady, how much are they going to look to run the football? Worfs is so good in the run game and in the screen game getting to the second level. The deficiencies in his game, was in his past sets at times not a lot because he's a top tackle for a reason but a guy that might overstep in his sets and get beat so I think that's something that where Tampa they might want to allocate a little help in the beginning now it's a home run that they got him and where they were picking it's hard to imagine them being able to do better so no I think he's going to be fine I think you just need to get with, you know, the growing pains. There, there's a reason some teams saw him as a guard with the arm length in pass pro as a tackle, and they saw him as an elite guard. So I think Worfs is going to be okay at tackle, personally, Lefko. Is he going to be perfect, though? No, there's a reason why he was the fourth guy taken. I feel like with the trade for Matt Breida, Chris Greer and the Dolphins may have had one of the more perfect drafts I've seen. Uh, I know doing the show with you, look, I know that you are not a fan of the defensive lineman out of Alabama uh, that they took, correct? Correct. Raekwon Davis. Time, what was his name? Raekwon oh, Davis. Thank you. I thought it was early. But I look, I look at what they did and who they are. And I look at the New England Patriots scheme and getting big people that just absorb things. And I look at getting Brita with Tua and the offensive lineman, and the slot corner, and then the safety later. I thought what, the, what they did the last year or two, as the pressure was mounting in terms of, you are going to trade all of these blue-chip prospects, the Laramie Tunsils of the world, the Minka Fitzpatricks, and to turn it around, and to get in my mind, to turn two or three guys into eight or nine really useful pieces on very manageable contracts with a quarterback, like with a, with a good leadership core of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brian Floor. You know what I mean? Like of just guys yep. that are not going to let the team. I look at the Dolphins and I go, they are on a, a beautiful trajectory. And I thought in what had to be a must-nail draft, I think they did. I think so too. I think big picture, they did a great job because I went back and a lot of people, you know, were like, you know, you graded Austin Jackson low, you graded Raekwon Davis low. And I'm like, yeah, guys, they had a million picks. Big picture, they did a phenomenal job where you got Tua, you didn't have to move up. Great. I love Tua. I'll stand behind Tua. I'll die on that hill. They made a right. strength stronger. Noah Igbenogany, the other, the last first round pick. Will Lefko, once again, we talk about the Cowboys receivers. Dolphins corners, strength stronger. They got the third corner that's a really, really good player. Robert Hunt in the second round actually liked better than Austin Jackson. It's just a matter of Robert Hunt's a more complete player. He's probably going to play guard. He can play a little right tackle. Austin Jackson is a young player that needs to get stronger. A lot of the coaches and scouts I talked to actually destroyed the USC program and blamed all his shortcomings on that program, which I always find very interesting. I totally so, believe it. So we'll see if I, I might be wrong on that. We'll find out. 
you know, Raekwon Davis, I just don't take that kind of player with the top 60 pick. But Brian Flores, you know, he wants this tough front that's going to stop the run, that's going to clog blockers uh, and let his other guys get after the passer. Brandon Jones, a really hard-hitting safety. Salman Kinley, a tough guy at guard. Curtis yeah. Weaver at 164, really productive pass rusher that I think, you know, all the knocks are on his body. I think he's going to get that right in an NFL program. I really, really do. So when you look at it, big picture left go, they bolstered their trenches so, so much. So and they got much. another big piece at corner that they have an identity, that team, with Chris Greer and Brian Flores. And I think that's something to be excited about. Uh, two more things for you. Number one, San Francisco 49ers, they go to the Super Bowl. And you go, man, run it back. They swapped out DeForest Buckner, Emmanuel Sanders, and Joe Staley. And they got Javon Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, and Trent Williams. And when I look at that, I go, they are younger, they are stronger, and they are faster. And the only step down to me is DeForest Buckner to Javon Kinlaw, but this is supposed to be the next guy. And you're getting them at a much lower contract, and it allowed you to keep somebody like Arik Armstead. But I look at Ayuk and Trent Williams legitimately as a step on Emmanuel Sanders and Joe Staley. And I think that what the, the Niners just showed again was the communication between our coach and our GM is strong. And we know what we need. And I think that they, they've poised themselves to not have to take a step back and reload, but to make another run at a Super Bowl. Yeah, and Lefko, a guy we're not even talking about that they got at 217. I had it at 142 in Jawan Jennings, the Tennessee receiver. A, a big-bodied guy that is going to be not a true wide receiver, but more of this H-back kind of player for Kyle Shanahan. People aren't even talking about that pick. I think it's a phenomenal fit. You know, when you look at McKibbitz, the West Virginia tackle, I, I talked to a coach that said, listen, I understand why you didn't like him at tackle, but when we watched – his reps at guard at the senior bowl, we thought a high, a, a really good potential starting guard. So they might've got some serious value outside the obvious picks. I loved Kinlaw. I think his ability to disrupt is going to be exciting to watch. It sucks to lose Defoe, but at least you got Kinlaw. Ayuk is really, really explosive and scary under. And if we see 80% of what Trent Williams was, exactly. my goodness, did that offensive line get better? Is Aaron Rodgers going to chew up Jordan Love and spit him out? I don't think so going to serve or like prevail. So I don't think Aaron is going to take out his, his frustration on Jordan love because of what Aaron went through when he was coming up as a rookie quarterback. Very cognizant of that. Yeah. I think he'll have good awareness of that. I think where my concern is the frustration boiling goes directly to the head coach because you could say all these things about the front office. He's not on the field every day with the front office, right? The GMs come out and watch practice whenever they want. Matt LaFleur and him, I thought, had a good dynamic last year. Now he comes into this year and you go, oh, you had to have the voice. You had to sign off on drafting my replacement. So are we, are we good? ear to ear on the broadcast. I've never I'm seen a coach you, look happier during a pick. And I'm going to go into this later in my rant um, with like Jalen Hurts and just the value of quarterback and how it does make sense and all of that. but. It just, it, it adds such, like right now, the two fan bases that are the most shook are Packers fans and Eagles fans. Because before the draft, we did not have uncertainty. And afterwards, nothing makes sense. And those are the two fan bases that I think are taking it the hardest right now. Yeah, and, and I, I want to say something with the Eagles. I actually thought they made up some ground day three 
uh, you know, the one day you weren't with us, I was kind of saying, damn, I kind of wish I could, I could talk to Lefko here. Like Kevon Wallace, I think is going to be a really, really good player. I like John Hightower winning down the field and Prince Tiga Wanago, I thought was one of the better developmental tackles in the class. So they made up some ground on day three. And also factor in this for Darius Slay. That's part of that draft class. Great point. Great point. Same could be said for the Colts. When you stack up how great that draft class was, you throw in Defoe. It's like, man, that's that's how it's done. Yeah, those were picks. So when you look, they did address corner. The Eagles did. They did address wide receiver. Um, they hit up safety later, tackle, as you mentioned. And if you really were to say it beforehand, they needed backup quarterback. Nate Sudfeld was not the guy. I'm going to get into that after the interview with Josh McCown. But for now, Connor, you are the man, dude. Way to kick ass this weekend. Stick to football. What, what other shows, do, topics do you have coming up the next few weeks? We're going to grade every single draft. And, and we're not just going to give you this fly-by, drive-by. We're going to make each episode every division so you get your chunk of information on your team's draft, not your two to three minutes. I think we'll really dedicate, you know, at least seven to eight minutes on every team's draft, which will be really, really exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to this month. And, and Lefko, thanks as always for having me. I love, you know, talking about this stuff with you. Oh, and by the way, as you go, killed it on the props. Killed it. Henry Thank you, Ruggs. man. Um, Jalen. Jalen. Hey, you know what? The fact that Jalen Hurts, I hit the bet that he went to the Eagles, yep. that made it feel a little bit better. Cole Komet, first tight end taken for the early birds. The, the early so, bird Lefko show listeners got the good ones from the first edition. They did. They did. And we so. appreciate it. Thank you, Connor. All right, later, Lefko. It is my distinct honor to bring in someone that has impacted the game for the last two decades in a positive way in terms of handing it off to Emmett Smith, a ton of different teams, and then now – in my mind, one of the grittiest performances in Philadelphia Eagles history. I'm saying Chuck Begnarik. I'm saying Norm Van Brocklin. I'm saying Donovan McNabb on a broken ankle with four touchdowns against the Cardinals. I'm talking about a playoff game where the starting quarterback goes out. In comes this guy that hasn't played the entire season, tears a butt cheek, and still drives down the field with Boston Scott and Greg Ward the third, And he still makes it happen. Josh Frickin' McCown. How you doing, pal? My man, I'm doing well. I was at that game on the sideline, the Cardinal game, when Donovan threw four touchdowns with a broken ankle. Because we were sitting over there going, come on, guys. He's on one leg. So I was in the stadium. still got it, it done. performance by my guy, Donovan. Um, I'll never forget it because they, they beat the brakes off of us. Um, you know what? That's a funny thank you for that to start. Oh, my pleasure. But Donovan breaks his ankle. And they finished the season that year with Coy Detmer and yep. A.J. Feely and all that. And we tell your story about, you know, what happened last year. Ryan Fitzpatrick's entire career has been someone gets hurt and I can help save the day. And yet when a quarterback gets taken in the second round, the sky is falling. And I'm curious if you can give me perspective as to the importance of that position and just how you see it. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you named off the names right there just for Philly historically. I mean, you talk about the Detmers, A.J. Feely, uh, recently, not I guess recently, but Jeff Garcia, like guys yep. have come in and played well, you know, from Philly. And, and, uh, and so the idea that, that you would take one in the second round, it's not far-fetched when you're trying to solidify that spot and, uh, and maybe forecast something, you know, for the future. And, and a guy in Jalen Hurts who can add value to your team right now because 
you can because he has a skill set. You know, like if he's a drop back guy, you're going. You took a drop back guy in the second round. Like he's not going to touch the field. This, right. this kid could probably get on the field uh, in a Taysom Hill type manner where you're getting value out of him. So, um, so I, I wouldn't be alarmed by this pick. I don't think it's it's um, it's crazy by any stretch, considering especially this city where they've seen backup quarterbacks, and obviously with Nick, backup quarterback be successful. How important is the vibe in a quarterback room to the success of the team? Oh, I think it's vital. I mean, it's the most important room in 32 buildings. And you, you want to have that right. And it's a different mix, really, to me, based on the starter's personality. And so, you know, you, you make the investment in a franchise quarterback. And then once you do that, you, you get to know that, that person. You obviously vetted him in the draft process. And then you go, okay, what kind of people do we put around him to help him be successful? You know, and maybe that's, you know, somebody that challenges him all the time because he's, he's activated and, and geared by that. Maybe that's somebody that can, that can teach him all the time. He's already a self-starter and, and he doesn't need the competition. He just needs somebody that can support him, that can help him, you know, help him manage the locker room. And, and because starters, they have a lot of things on their mind. You know, if you're a franchise guy, you're getting pulled in all different directions from uh, outside interest and so on. And so to have the, the other quarterbacks in the room to be able to say, hey, man, uh, listen, the tight ends, we're talking about this, and they, they, they need some love here because of whatever, X, Y, Z, we need to figure that out. You know, it's another set of eyes and ears in the locker room that helps that starter who's got a lot on his plate manage that. So it's, it's a vital room. It's critically important to have that chemistry right. You know how it is awkward in Philly because of it's more of a fan thing. Nick Foles wins the Super Bowl. Carson Wentz hurt. There was this elephant in the room. Frankly, I thought the last four weeks last year, Carson answered all those questions. 4-0, set the team to the playoffs, knocked out the Cowboys, beat everybody in the division, threw a pass to Miles Sanders in the Washington game that really answered any question you needed to know. And he gets hurt. And I just think that there's talk of the receivers saying things, all of these things. And I think a lot of people are worried about Carson's mindset and another guy entering the room. It's just, it's a fan perspective thing. What is Carson's mindset? And do fans need to worry about that? I don't think so. And here's why. You said it. I go back to the last four weeks of the season last year when effectively he put the group on his back. And to me, when you can change the parts around you and continue to play at a high level and your level even goes up, that's when you start to scratch the surface of what we call the elite guys in our league. They're the guys that Aaron, you know why they haven't drafted a, a, a skill position in the first round in 15 years? Cause Aaron's that good. You know, he's a, he's kind of a victim of his own talent. Yeah, sir. So start to see that with these guys and you know, 4,000 yards without a receiver going over 500 is incredible. And I just thought, down the stretch, he played at such such a high level that, uh, you know, his confidence is off the charts. It's a bummer how the playoff game worked out um, with the injury. But his mindset is, you know, I, I just – to bring in a second-round quarter, I don't think that's a, that's a thing because he's in such a different place because of where he took the guys. And then you look at, okay, last year we took a relative group of unknowns and we made our way into the playoffs. Now we've added some young talent to that group still – unknown guys all these rookies are still unknown guys and if you if you deem those guys even more talented then you're saying okay I'm gonna that's what we did with some guys that we were just yanking off the street as, as people right. fell off 
Now we've drafted some guys that are 4-3 guys. They had a good one, all this stuff. All of a sudden, now you're going, okay, Carson, if you can work that magic that you did for the last four weeks, yes. what can you do with these? So that's where my I, mindset I look, is, and I'm this too. I looked at the Eagles offense last year, and the times in which I thought it was most successful was when you guys were doing double tight end set and controlling the power of the game. Buffalo comes to mind. Green Bay comes to mind. Some of those late games where you can load up, and then no speed on the outside. And I'm curious, the Marquise Goodwin trade, Deshaun Jackson healthy, Jalen Rager in the first round, they took a kid named Hightower that's supposedly one of the faster kids in the draft. If you can un- help teach me in terms of the flow of the offense, what they can do if it's speed on the outside and the double tight ends with Sanders in the middle, and what's the perfect flow of that offense? Well, I, I think it starts with the running game. You know, I, I still would say the most important people are Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane mm. Johnson, Isaac Salmala. Like, the, the, the guys up front, uh, Dillard, like, controlling the line of scrimmage. And when we do that, then it can work out from there. And you, you're right about the two tight ends. But uh, their skill set is different. Dallas is very athletic. He's really coming on. Um, Zach's a technician, can get open. Uh, but they need the top lifted. And when you don't have speed outside, the structure of the defense lowers because they know the ball's not getting behind them. Were you seeing plays where you guys thought to yourselves, if we had a guy to take the top off right now, we'd be unstoppable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just as soon as Deshaun Jackson puts a jersey on, the, the defense, everybody's like, crap. Like you saw in the Washington game, or in the opener. But the ball got behind them twice. And it changed how everybody viewed us. And then as soon as he and as soon as he was out, they all breathe a sigh of relief and they're like, all right, man, we're good. <laughs> like the ball can't get behind us. And so they can squeeze down on uh, Dallas and Zach, and that becomes an issue for us. So so you have to have speed. And obviously, it's a it's a trendy league, it's a copycat league, as we say. Um, you see Jeez, the success with all the speed, and so people are looking for speed. And as I look at this weekend, we add that. We add that in droves. And you just want as much of that on your roster as you, as you can have because it opens things up. And you get these guys in space and open it up, and now the run game starts hitting again. So it kind of – it's run, then pass, then back to run with that mentality. I feel like the last few years, the voices in the locker room, the loudest have been Jason Peters and Malcolm Jenkins. Who, who's the, the one talking the loudest now, do you think? Whoa. I mean, I think Jason Kelsey still – an unbelievable presence. Brandon Brooks, like some of those guys, they may not, they may not have loud voices. They don't right. talk very much. Their presence and their influence is huge. Um, and Lane as well. Uh, Carson will continue to grow. I think there was a, a ton of equity earned that last four weeks. Just watching how he poured himself into these young guys and trying to get those guys ready to play. Um, I think he earned a lot of equity there. So I, I think you'll see that emerge. And then, um, you know, Fletcher still – they're on the defensive side. Brandon Graham's still there on the defensive side. Those guys are stalwarts as far as leaders in, in the locker room. And and, uh, and so we, we, and we've got young guys emerging in the defensive backfield. Jalen Mills is still around, Amate Maddox. Uh, so there's plenty to be excited about. And, and, I, and I do believe, too, they've gotten to watch those guys lead, watch Malcolm. They've learned a lot. And so that's what you want to have as a, as a culture where you're turning over when, when it's time and it's time to turn over leader. Right. New guys pop up, and I think you'll see that. In terms of Hurts, you, you said the Taysom Hill thing. And, man, I can't see Jalen Hurts without Taysom Hill next to it. And I'm going to get into this a little. I'm about to go on like a rant. But in terms of him 
people forget that this is Sean Payton. And I think you'd agree with me, this is one of the most innovative minds the NFL has ever seen. And Drew Brees, who is a top 10 quarterback of all time. And I'm curious, how innovative is Doug Peterson? Um, and, and how innovative do you think he will get with Jalen Hurts if, he, if that's the mold he's trying to use? Well, I mean, Philly, Philly. You know what I mean? Look no further yeah. than that, right? And, uh, and, but don't and you think I, we can sometimes get overwhelmed by one play? Like I'm asking you, like when you've been in a lot of quarterback rooms with a lot of OCs, where does Doug Peterson rank in terms of like innovation? And if he's by the top, by all means, like I get it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I would say so because here's why. Just fearless more than anything. Like a lot of times ideas will come across the desk and guys will turn it down because they're just like, oh, I don't know. And, and that, that's my mm. point is, he dialed up Philly, Philly in the most important game of his life. Like, he's, he's just fearless in that regard. So, I think they're open to anything. And and I know this, the, the men in that locker room, especially offensively, they're open to moving the football and winning the game. Mm. And they're all for that. And and so, whatever that takes. And um, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if there's a taste of meal type role for Jalen sure. Hurts. I don't know. That. But what I'm saying is there, he, he possesses a skill set that it's available to them if they want to. I do, I do believe, too, just watching some tape of him, that he has a skill set to develop into a, a, a very fine NFL quarterback. Mm. Like, he can throw from the pocket. He, can, he needs the reps, and he needs to grow in that area. But in the meantime, if he can add value to your team, why not? And, and we'll see. But, but would that be on the table with Doug and, and Press and those guys? I think absolutely, because they're innovative, they're forward-thinking, and, uh, and it wouldn't shock me at all. I think – one of the guys that has the most pressure on him, in my mind, I think other than the quarterbacks, most is on Howie, Doug, but I also think Press, because everyone keeps telling me that Press is this dude. Who is Press Taylor? Can, like, I, I just feel like that's my only question. Who is yeah. Press Taylor to you? No, press is sharp, man. Um, like, going there and, and you know, I, I'm older than Press, and so going there and having a quarterback coach who you're older all that stuff, and I was I was uh, really really impressed with how he operated. Just the level of detail and organization that he comes to every day with, and um, and his knowledge of plays, his ability to pull plays. Oh yeah, I remember we did this this you know, and just and then from what he sees around the league, he studies the league. He's very meticulous about that. Um, so in uh, his ability to adapt it to what we're doing, I think is, is special. And so I think we get value there because of that, um, because mm. of what he can bring to the table in, in, in an expanded role. So, um, so I'm, I'm a huge press Taylor fan, very, very impressed with him this year, working with him. Um, and as you talked about earlier, the quarterback room is important. The trust and the communication in that room is important. So it's, it, I think it was huge to be able to retain somebody like press, who's a, a vital piece in, in, in Carson's ear. And they've gained trust over these last three or four years that Carson's been there. So, um, so I look for nothing but big things between, you know, Press and Doug and their relationship and the rest of the staff. Um, quarterback rooms are crazy. And I think the two franchises that have their fan base in a tizzy right now are the Eagles, because always, and the Packers, just with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. Um, you are, and you, you were, and you still are a heck of an athlete to play the quarterback position. Uh, I think the fact that you were catching passes for the Detroit lions answers any questions about that. But when you see a kid like love, and I, I was saying this on the draft, Aaron Rodgers for the better part of his career in training camp has done the rollout and throw drill and been more athletic than almost any guy that's been in camp with him. 
And this guy seems like it's going to kind of match that. As a competitor, what do you think that's going to bring out of Aaron? I think it'll be good. You know, I think it'll bring juice out of him. Um, Because I will say this, uh, as it goes across the league and and what guys understand about Aaron is probably one of the most competitive dudes out there and and can take the chip on the shoulder thing and, and, and utilize it. Some guys... It's just it's 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 false, you know. Like they, oh, I got a chip on my show, but they they can't really mm-hmm. harness it. Aaron can harness it and like take it somewhere. So um, so I think you'll see that. Uh, I think I, the limited film I've seen on the on the on, on Jordan Love, I'm really impressed with him. I think I think he's got a bright future, and there's nobody better to learn from with with Jordan's skill set than Aaron. Um, how that fits into their scheme as a football team right now, and, and the value that they got him at number one. You know, remains to be seen because because they probably could have, like I said earlier, Aaron's a little bit of a victim of his own talent and success. Like he's he's made you know lower lower picked guys really good, so it's like well, wow, yeah, first rounder. But at the same time, at this point in his career, where maybe if his skills aren't as maybe as sharp as they were or as as, as refined as they were early on, when you want to help him, so um, so we'll, we'll see. But I do think that presence there it, that'll get the juices going. And maybe we'll see a, a little bit, if possible, an even more focused Aaron. What would 40-year-old Josh McCown say to rookie Josh McCown if he was going to Lambeau and was about to go and, like, back up Aaron Rodgers? Like, if this was you, what would you whisper in your ear right now? Stop talking. Mm. I would just be like, listen, you know, and don't say anything and just – just chill and, 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 uh, and just take it all in, you know, and, and learn. And, uh, I think that that's the biggest thing for, for Jordan love is just, man, just, just listen, just soak it up. And it's a great dynamic because there's no, you know, Aaron's a hall of famer. So there's no mistake whose team it is. So you don't have to come like you really have zero pressure on you. You just kind of roll in there and just learn, just, just operate. And, uh, and so I think that would be the the, be, the biggest thing I would say is just who did you learn from the most? Yeah, just just listen, just watch. Who did I learn from the most? Yeah, like when you like when you were shutting up and listening. You kind of you had to play early though. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my the guys in front of me changed so much. So like I, I take little things from every guy. Um, I learned a ton. Like my rookie, I was behind Jake Plummer, and Jake was great. Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake. Oh. There. So Jake was awesome, you know, from a lot of standpoints. If there was a movie done about Jake the Snake, to me, Keanu Reeves is playing the leading role. It would be perfect. And you're being played by a Hemsworth. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Totally makes sense. Uh, but he was just cool, man. You know, like, like, like Keanu cool. Like, just like, man, you know, it was, it was we'd get in the hole and he'd get us out of it. And, and uh, so I, I think I learned that from him just from a sense of how to be in the locker room. Like just how to relate to the guys and, and the different position groups. Um, Kurt Warner was awesome getting him just from watching him see the field, like how he, how he conducted himself with the guys as far as his attention to detail. And uh, I was with Chad Pinkton briefly in, in Miami, but Chad comes into the first day and he's like every split at like, like he was there 24 hours and he was going to play in a preseason game and he's breaking down everybody's route. And I was like, dude, like it's just a preseason game. And he was like, I'm out there. And whatever these guys do is a reflection of me. So I'm going to own it. And that was like, for me, seven or eight years in. And I was like, Holy wow. God. like, 
that was like, oh, all right, man, like you should, you should take charge of this. So, um, so different nuggets like that along the way um, that I learned a lot from guys. Man, that's awesome. Uh, I think it's your path right now. You're at, you're at an interesting time, man, because you're in the era where 40 is not even that old anymore. No. You know what I mean? Like you're 40 years old and there's a number of guys older than you still kicking ass. This is crazy. Well, yeah, that's why I keep saying like this would be so cool if it was like 10 years ago because then it would be like, oh, he's 40 and he's playing and nobody does that. Everybody does that now. Like there's two Hall of Fame. They're still going, you know? And so it's like, man, I kind of feel bad if I stop playing, you know? So it is. It, it, it has definitely made this, this uh, which is encouraging because I think we get, we get to look forward to the fact that Aaron might not be done anytime soon. You know, right. some of our good players. That we That's what I wanted to say. Um, can play I'm watching the last dance and I'm watching Michael Jordan and I'm enjoying the just absolute raw competitor he is. And then the more and more I think about how people talk about Aaron Rodgers it's like the same thing. Everybody's like, look, man, he's an asshole, but he's fucking incredible. And he's probably the best guy that's ever done it. Like, I, there really is a genuine comparison in terms of how they're perceived. No doubt about it. I, I, I think, and that's what makes those guys special. There is, there is a unique edge to the great players. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's all of them are different and they have a different quirk to them, but they all have something that you, when you see them or you're around them, you're like, that's different. Like nobody pays attention to that like he does or nobody mm. rips people's ass like he does or nobody, you know what I mean? Like everybody's different. And so, um, so it's just unique. And, uh, and Aaron certainly has that. And I'm, I agree with you. I think, you know, when you start to watch the last dance, you see all these, all these uh, things and comments about Michael and you start to think about the players that you've played that have those kind of qualities. And, and I think Aaron, would be right up there with with probably on on a comparable level of just the right the right amount of of uh, you know chip on his shoulder, mm -hmm. but the ability to execute at a high level and be at your best and um, and so it'll be interesting. That's why that's why Richard Sherman gives me like Isaiah Thomas vibes, like early on in Rogers' career <laughs> yeah. type stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, agree. Uh, I just want to say uh, we're both. I I, I am. A big Sam Darnold fan. He's my guy. Uh, I think your clip of the hair at the same time will live on the internet forever. How happy are you for your quarterback son uh, that he now has a franchise tackle and in the second round they get a guy that could develop into a number one in Denzel Mims? Uh, I just, and they go out and they get five or six O line in free agency. How happy are you right now for uh, Sam Darnold? Oh, I'm so happy. I think Joe Douglas, Rex Hogan, those guys crushed the draft. And um, and I'm pumped for Sam because I, I, I believe he can be a very good player. You know, um, we got close a couple years ago when I was there. And uh, and I just think he has a great skill set to, to, to play at a high level and to take and, – and when you get to be around that organization and the people and everything and fans, you want the best for him. And, and I want to see him take off. And, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's prime time right now in the AFC East to get it done. And, uh, and so I'm thrilled for him because I think they got a chance. Uh, Mims' kid's a good player um, and uh, somebody that can stretch the defense. And they put, uh, you know, in free agency, added, added some good pieces and addressed the offensive line. And, uh, and so I think – My big thing, too, that people are forgetting play. about the Jets is if last year you said, what's the player you're most excited to see on offense? I'd probably say, you know what, Chris Herndon. I've heard a lot about this tight end. And then if you said, who's going to be the leader of the defense? I'd go – 
C.J. Mosley. Both of them missed the entire season, and they're both back. Like, C.J. Mosley is getting $16 million a year at linebacker, and he played a half of a game. So I look at the Jets and go, this is going to be a completely different team than last year. 100%. C.J. Mosley is a heck of a player now. And, and Herndon yeah. the thing. Like, I remember when we first got him, we were just like, holy cow, we, 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 we stole this one here because he can, he can really play. So you add those pieces of the offense, and it could be, it could be huge. Um, and, and I, you know, I think the other thing, people forget, like, they finished seven and nine. You know what I mean? Like, they won six of their last eight games. Right. Like, every time it was show up this weekend, you know, their record or whatever, it, oh, yeah, they're seven and nine. Like, so sometimes I, I think the vibe is, oh, man, they were, they were you know, a two and 14 team. But, I mean, they finished seven and nine, like you said. And then Sam missed three games with mono. You know what I mean? That's right. So I think, I think the arrows further up than people realize. And it's a second year. And for Sam, like, remember this. A quarterback's biggest growth is, is your one to two, but it doesn't really happen if you're not in the same system. That's hard. Mm. And so for him to go now, this whole quarantine and having to learn, you know, the, the way we're talking now, it, it may be a little different, but still he knows the system. And it's a whole different level when you're going through an off season for a quarterback and a young quarterback. This is something that I got it by attrition because I've circled back and got into the office like, I never had the same coordinator two years in a row for 18 years. So I, I, wow. I like, but for a young quarterback, when you're going through the offseason and you like, you're not worried about like, what do we call trips right? Or what do we call mm. this formation or this protection? Your brain space is being filled with like, how am I going to attack this defense? It's a totally different offseason and allows for growth. So I think it's going to be huge for Sam in that regard too, of just the second year in Adam's system, they can really take off. You are the man. I had a pleasure doing this. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if you know what your future holds, but you have so many options that it's pretty good to be where you are. Mr. McCown, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it too. I enjoyed it. All right, man. I'll let you. That was Josh McCown. Had a blast talking to him. David Ingber joins us now. And the first thing you said was that was a really fun conversation. And I agree. Because he's played with every single person in the NFL. And like when you're talking about the draft, he knows every coordinator. He knows yep. what's going on. He knows the vibe in two thirds of the locker rooms in the NFL. It, it's like there's no one. There are very few people I'd rather hear the take on a few days after the draft than him. He is like he's a lot like Ryan Fitzpatrick where where you go. If we were to sit down and have a drink, the stories you would get out of these guys are just they he handed it off to Emmon Smith. He threw Larry Fitzgerald's first touchdown. And then last year, yeah. I mean, he's playing last year. It's unreal. And and utter respect, it seems like, from a hundred percent of the people that worked with him. Absolutely. Just a gamer, just shows up athletic knows the offense can do whatever the team needs. I love that guy. Was this your first NFL draft with Bleacher Report? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started in May of last year. Uh, Ingber was uh, huddled up recording a lot of the draft watching way too much and putting out all the social on like the, the Twitter left go show account, which I thought was awesome. Uh, and then you also witnessed the uh, Jalen Rager clip kind of explode, which was a thing. Yeah, uh, that was, <laughs> I mean, because you and Connor and Matt, first of all, amazing job. I don't know how you guys can do nice that bro. for all those hours in a row without like just passing out or needing to pee. Someone on the broadcast mentioned that you needed to pee at some point. I don't know I who these like every 90 minutes. Did you really? I was going to say, I don't know who these people are. They're like, I pee all the time. And I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. 
just didn't happen. No, but it is a thing when you're live on camera, you sort of like don't notice anything. Like you don't cough, you don't sneeze. You're just right? like your body is your in the zone. I get that. are autonomous. But you guys had a really nice flow going where it was like, here comes the pick. Here's Matt's pick. Here's Connor's thing. Let's roll the tape. Let's get a, a grade going. So then once in a while, something would happen that was like really goofy or really intense. Or like if Connor loved a Jets pick or if you hated an Eagles pick, everyone would just sort of stop and be like, oh, what's going on here? And I was like, yeah, I'm clipping that one, throwing that on Twitter oh. ASAP. Hope oh. you're not mad about it. It's so funny because, um, you know, it's uh... – like I will, I will always have a weird connection now with Jalen Rager, which I appreciate. But that's how it is when when your team is up. I, you tweeted me, at, you t- you texted me that you were like, when the draft is going on, you're like, uh, and then when it's your pick, you're like, shut up, this matters. And there's nothing know, different a, than the other talking, thirty-one. You talk about the Vikings, and then you talk about the Browns, and you talk about the Buccaneers, and then finally it's like, and I think the Patriots. I'm like, all right, all right, all right now real things are happening. Everyone, shut up! I have to pay attention. It's just amazing how like your team, you feel like it matters so much more. Oh man! And then, you know, you look at the grades, and if and if you go on like CBS Sports and they give it a bad grade, you're like, ah, screw them anyway. Nobody cares. Even when I don't even know who the guys are, because you know I'm not a draft guy. So like right. by the third, fourth round, I don't know who these guys are. And like Connor's like, oh, Belichick gets a B minus. I'm like, oh, screw you, man. Belichick knows what he's doing. This is an A plus. You're going to shout Belichick. Um, <laughs> what was it like to hear? Like for me, it was like to see a name for three months and then the name to be available and not take it caused a reaction. Right. What was it like for a few months to go? The Patriots could draft a quarterback. Ooh, coming up in Sports Center. Will the Patriots draft a quarterback? And then it's like podcasts are like plucking violins and going, there's <laughs> a reason the Patriots need to draft a quarterback. For you, for it not to happen, what, what, what was that like for you? Well, my number one dream dream was that the Patriots would do what they never do, which is break the bank and try to move up and draft Tua. I mean, uh, like that was my dream dream. I, I didn't know right. if it that was, was ever going to happen lot. in a million if years. Tua falls, this could be the move. Yeah. And like, you know, even Connor was saying a few days before the draft, it's like maybe like weird things happen in a draft where all of a sudden, like all the tackles go first and all of a sudden two is available at nine or 10 or something. All of a sudden the Patriots can maybe draft uh, trade up from 23 to 10 or something. Who knows? Uh, especially in the year when no one can actually right. send their doctors to investigate him. Maybe someone, you know, he drops a little bit. But I still think Cam Newton's out there. And I feel like watching a healthy Cam Newton play for a Bill Belichick offense would be incredible. So I still have hope that we're going to get like some marquee guy. And uh, I also am like the biggest Jameis fan in a disciplined offense. I think he would be like something special with a reset and a new offensive line. Who the hell knows? Uh, but yeah, Cam, Cam's still the guy I'm circling. You're very Patriots. measured and you're very under control. But I know that you know someone that's not, and I was wondering what he thinks. So do you have any idea what Pat Pat thinks? Yeah, hold on. Let me go get him. Okay. What up, Lefko? Pat Pat here, entering day five of my NFL draft tailgate outside Gillette Stadium. It's cold as balls, but I got to be first in line to meet the newest Patriot, Kyle F. Duggar. The F stands for friggin'. Fun fact about me, I got four roommates. Two of them are named Kyle, and one of them we called Dugga because one time he got wicked drunk and bought a shovel so he could plant flowers at the TD Bank North Garden. He thought it was a garden. He was the best man at my wedding, and he's currently serving his third tour as my emergency contact. My fourth roommate is a kicker in college named Justin Rawasa. We also drafted a guy named Justin Uche. Fun fact about Uche, that's what we used to call chewing tobacco and pig Latin when we started dipping in fourth grade. I messed up that joke. We also grabbed two tight ends in the third round. The last time we grabbed two tight ends this early, it was Gronk, who has completely abdicated all responsibility as the number one 
wrestler in the WWE and Aaron Hernandez, who hasn't played in a while, so I forgot what his deal is. My theory is that Belichick wants to take this year and rebuild. We're talking about a quiet year, maybe just going, I don't know, something like 11 and 5 and flaming out in the AFC Championship, something simple like that. But Lefko, I got some bad news for you. You can no longer Venmo me for my appearances on the Lefko show. I only accept Cash Maluia. We took him in the sixth round. Pat, Pat, out. Nice. I like the uh, the backwards hat sets the tone. Uh, yeah, he likes to wear a backwards hat. He just comes in like a freaking like a ball of fire. <laughs> um, to to that point, I just realized the one question I forgot to ask Connor was during the Josh Uche thing. I was talking about how he skipped kindergarten. He was very smart, and Connor sure. said kindergarten is a sham, and I didn't get a chance <laughs> to get to that. And so I guess I'll talk to you about it. When you heard Connor say that kindergarten was a sham, I feel like that was a take you'd be into. Uh, look, uh, when you're a dad of a young kid, you start to read weird things about like educational like ideas and theories and philosophies and things. And the Danish, who apparently are like killing it in the child education world, say that kids should just be playing up through age like seven or eight right? Wow. Not giving them homework, not trying to like sit them down and teach them something, but just like talking to them and playing with them and giving them some toys and saying, but come up with a game yourself. Exactly. So, I mean, some people though, they're talking about like American kindergartens. These kids are actually coming home with homework or like yeah, they're trying to like learn the sit them down in and kindergarten. Yeah. Trying to memorize things, trying to learn how to count to 10 in Spanish, all these things that are just like actually sitting them down and teaching them academia, which sounds good, but maybe, I don't know, maybe the Danish have it figured out. Man, see, kindergarten talk. That was a hotter take than my Patriots draft. <laughs> well, um, what I'd like to do now, uh, if you don't mind, is I kind of want to clear the room. You need to be alone for this one? Yeah, because, all right, I need to do kind of a state of the Eagles because we got shook to our core. And as you can see in my talk with Josh, I have a lot of questions. Um, yep. And I think a lot of people right now, like the, the worst part about a, a draft on a Monday is when you see the best and worst picks of the 2020 NFL draft on YouTube. And normally you're like, let me see if my team made it. But on the thumbnail, when it's like split and the one on the right is your player, you're like, I might be coming in to get kicked in the face. And so I need to address where we are, where we're going, and I, I kind of need to be alone if you're okay with that. All right, thank you. Um, hi. If you're not an Eagles fan, you should stop watching or listening right now because you're, I'm about to get emotional, and I really wouldn't feel comfortable if you were here. If you are an Eagles fan, um, I'm going to bear my soul because love hurts. Not the phrase, maybe an action. But the main thing that I want to say is our foundation has been shook, okay? We went into this draft and our one good spot that we knew you didn't need to touch was quarterback. And right now, all that draft did was give us a lot of questions. I'm here to give us a little bit of hope. First thing I want to say is the perception of the pick. If Jalen Hurts was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, right now he'd be called the next Big Ben. If he was drafted by the Colts with that offensive line and those weapons, 
Chris Ballard does it again. If he went to the Patriots, we'd say that Bill Belichick was about to revolutionize the game. So where he goes, most of them are positive because he went to a place with Carson Wentz and a city like Philadelphia, it's raised a lot of concern. First and foremost, don't question the value because the Patriots didn't draft a quarterback, okay? Neither did Pittsburgh. And frankly, teams like Chicago still need him. So even if he does get fostered and maintained, there's still going to be teams that need him. The thing that I'm hearing right now is this is a team that's trying to win a Super Bowl. And I completely agree. In fact, remember, a lot of people, including myself, picked them to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl last year. Then they had one of the most injury-filled seasons ever, and teams are saying and fans are saying they're so close. Just get a piece. What if he's just a backup? Look, I agree. But I have thought about it, and if there's any franchise that knows the value of, an, of a backup, it's us. 2017, Nick Foles. But just look around the league. You know the stories about Carolina relying on Kyle Allen. You know the story about Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans relying on him for those five games. What about Detroit? Detroit was right in the thick of it. They lost Matt Stafford. They lost all eight games. Pittsburgh, season, destroyed. I mean, so much so that Mason Rudolph got clubbed. Jacksonville. I mean, literally the same guy that saved us, they built their entire season around Nick Foles, $88 million, first game it's over. It's over. What about the salary? Oh, why did you pay Carson Wentz $128 million? Well, you know with Carson being injured, you need the guys behind him, and you can't spend too much on the position. Jacoby Brissett is making $30 million over two years. Case Keenan is making $16 million over three years. You know how I feel about Chase Daniel. Dude's making $10 million over two. The Eagles are getting Jalen Hurts for $6 million over four. So when one quarterback is making 32 and the other's making 1.5, suddenly the average is around 18. And you did tell me that they need a good backup quarterback and they're getting this one at a pretty good price. I want to say a name for a lot of Eagles fans that I think you're going to know right away. Who was Carson Wentz compared to the most when he was coming out of North Dakota State? The real ones know it was Andrew Luck. And what the hell just happened with Andrew Luck? They had the same issues. So physical, getting banged around early. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't enough for Andrew to play anymore. That's what can happen at the quarterback position. Come on, Eagles fans. We know this. We know that if Carson Wentz went down in week three or, God forbid, like he did in the playoffs and we don't have a Josh McCown, do you really think that Nate Sudfeld's the one that's going to get the job done? And you know you're lying if you say yes. Okay, so then how are they going to use Jalen Hurts? How are they going to make this happen? Taysom Hill, they say. First thing I want to say is I believe that Jalen Hurts is not only not comparable to, to Taysom Hill, I think it's an insult to uh, Jalen Hurts. You look at the athleticism. The only thing that Taysom Hill has in terms of testing over Jalen Hurts is 40. He did his as a pro day, which means it's not authentic. You probably add what everyone says about a tenth to that, and suddenly Jalen Hurts is a better jumper, more explosive, and is 
statistics dwarf Taysom Hill so much that it's crazy. Oh, Taysom Hill was hurt. Okay, guess who wasn't hurt? Jalen Hurts. So I don't have to worry about the injury either. Jalen Hurts, if you're going to use him like Taysom Hill, to me that's not enough. It's not. Taysom Hill gets less than two rushes a game. He gets then two catches a game. The one thing that stood up, though, is explosion. Seven touchdowns on the season for Taysom Hill. So about a catch and a run a game, but he gets done the season with seven touchdowns because they're using him at certain times. But in my mind, that's not enough. If you look at how the Saints used Taysom Hill in the playoff game, now we're getting to enough. He had a 50-yard pass in that loss to the Vikings. He had four runs and two catches. And he averaged over 12 yards on each of those. So in their most important game, he was their ultimate chess piece. If the Eagles are going to do this with Jalen Hurts, it has to be more than just in the playoff game. It has to be all the time. I look at the Eagles and I look at what is most important to them. What has really been defining their success? To me, it is their aggressiveness in the red zone and in fourth down. This is what Doug Peterson does. This is the reason why people like Josh McCown shower him with praise because of aggression. If you look, in 2019, they were third in red zone percentage. In the year they won the Super Bowl in 2017, they were first. They convert. And what have we learned from Warren Sharp? That one of the most valuable tools in the red zone is a scrambling quarterback. Guess who I don't want scrambling in the red zone? Carson Wentz. That's where he tore his ACL, diving in the red zone. Every time he does a quarterback sneak, I freak out. And that's the other reason why I understand this. Nobody goes for fourth down more than the Philadelphia Eagles. Here is where they've ranked since 2016. First, second, first, second. Those are attempts. And in the year they won the Super Bowl in fourth down percentage, they were third. You know what they were last year? 28th. They went for it the second most amount of times on fourth down, and then last year it dropped from third to 10th to 28th. Partially, probably, because you don't want to put Carson Wentz in a position to get hurt. We are in his ear all the time, slide, get down. We know at his core, we know the Washington game. We know he wants to lay a shoulder and fight through a sack. It's okay if he's not in. Oh, but Drew Brees is 40. This is why they're doing it in New Orleans. Preservation. You preserve the guy that's making 128, and it's okay to get a little bit more risky with the guy making 1.5. That's how it works. It opens up the playbook, and that's a valuable part of them. To me, it's not just about situations. For people that say, oh, a second-round pick isn't worth situations, what does Bill Belichick describe the game of NFL as? Situational football is how you win. If you convert fourth downs and score in the red zone, you're winning. So fucking catch a fade on the between the 20s. I think the reason that this upsets, this is mainly upsetting two groups of people. Philadelphia fans that are upset that you are bringing in a distraction with Carson Wentz 
when he finally won over the team, when he went the last four games and put the team on his back and put all the doubts and the rumors about Alshon and said, I'm the guy, forget Nick Foles, get out here. And while there's an injury concern, now you enter this guy in and the Philadelphia fans that have been through this before are going, you are creating a conversation that I don't want to have with my coworkers, friends, and family for the next year and a half. It's an agitation of the situation. The other group that is hurt are the people believe, that believe that Jalen Hurts could have a successful career as a true quarterback and feel that this is limiting him. And I totally understand that too. We forget that these players, much like in all of sports, have their own fan bases. And Jalen Hurts has been out here proving doubters wrong for a very long time. He came in right away, loses a national championship, comes in, gets benched on national television. Tua, the guy that was drafted top five in the same draft as him, wins it all. He is looking, quite honestly, slightly disrespected. That had to be embarrassing. Next year, Tua gets hurt. He wins the national championship, goes to Oklahoma, top five Heisman. I mean, this is some Russell Wilson shit. And there are some people out there that have been worn down from seeing quarterbacks that look like him get turned into athletes, a.k.a. Cordell Stewart. And they are frustrated. And I totally get it. But the Philadelphia Eagles here are looking at the value that I said earlier. If he went to Pittsburgh, he's the next Big Ben. If he goes to New England, they revolutionize the game. If he goes to San Francisco, holy crap. Is he, like a lot of stuff. He is a valuable piece and this is a franchise that's going to use him in their minds correctly. And that's where I believe the most pressure is on. The, pre the most pressure is not on Carson Wentz. And the most pressure is not on Jalen Hurts. They are driven, team-focused guys. You don't have to worry about Jalen Hurts saying, I'm the guy. This is not Tua Tungavailoa. This is not Justin Herbert. Okay, This is a guy that has been in this situation and knows the importance of a quarterback room. He knows that he has a job to do. Man, play for Nick Saban. They will handle this. Everybody else is going to be upset. But the most pressure is on three people. Number one, Press Taylor. You heard Josh McCown talking about him. Press Taylor is responsible for Philly Philly, the Philly special. He's the one that went deep in the vault and found the play from the Chicago Bears and, and, and introduced it, and he's been getting a lot of credit for it. He needs to overcome. He's the one that's been coming out and saying, I want to innovate. What about two passes in a play? Two guys on the field that can throw. If you're going to say and promise innovation, you need to deliver. I'm not saying you haven't. I'm just saying a lot of people are saying, based on Philly's special, he is the future. Now that the ball is in your hands and they didn't give the offense to Deuce Staley and they didn't go outside of the franchise, it is all on you, baby. And by the, by the look and sound of it, you're going to crush. But you got the third most pressure. The second most pressure is on Doug Peterson. Second most. Because Doug Peterson has to innovate. The last two seasons, when he hasn't had Frank Reich and he hasn't had John Filippo and all of those offensive minds that were in there, the innovation wasn't there in the beginning of both seasons. Only until it started crashing down, and in, both situ in the one two years ago, Carson got hurt, 
and Nick had to come in, and that's when they beat Chicago and went to New Orleans. And then last year after the Miami loss, that's when the innovation started, when the back was against the wall. There's a lot of people looking at Indy and saying Frank Reich was the guy. There's a lot of people that are looking at Kansas City and go, damn, Andy's still crushing it. Second most pressure was on Doug Peterson because he needs to innovate. But the first most pressure is on Howie Roseman. A hundred percent. All of it. I am a Howie fan. I love the way he talks. I love what he said in the past at MIT Sloan conferences. I think that his ideas and the way in which he leads and the way in which he treats people is flawless. But Howie created risk for himself for reward. And because of that comes pressure. There's pressure because when you look at the players that they passed on, the very next pick after Jalen Hurts was A.J. Epinesa, seen as a first-round pick by many teams, a standout in Iowa that looks like he'll have a 10-year career in a position where the Eagles really do need depth. They went and they added to it, but they could use depth. The fact that the Saints, the team that they're trying to model their defense, their, their offense after, went and took Zach Bond, another seen as first-round pick, out of Wisconsin at a position that the Eagles desperately needed, so much so they went there in the third round with a kid from Colorado. But mainly because... The New York Jets took Denzel Mims, the same New York Jets that are led by Howie Roseman's former assistant, Joe Douglas. And the fact that the Jets and the Browns, who are run by Andrew Barry, another guy that helped build it with Howie Roseman, are seen to have two of the best drafts in the league. The Jets with Mackay Becton, Del Mims, and Ash. Davis and the Browns sitting patiently getting Jedrick Wills seen as one of the best solid tackles in this draft. A, a flyer on Donovan Peoples-Jones in the seventh is the reason you do this. A number of guys in between. Hunter Bryant, a great draft. And just like Doug Peterson is questioned with Frank Reich and all of those guys leaving, Howie Roseman is questioned with Joe Douglas and Andrew Barry leaving, and we are set, one, set here wondering, sitting here wondering, are we left with the guy? or a guy that was managing the guys. Look, I have a lot of faith in Doug Peterson, and a lot of faith in Howie Roseman. One, because of what they say about fourth downs. Two, the way they approach uh, analytics. Three, they won a Super Bowl, and that is not lost on me. But they just sped up a timeline because they chose to. And because of that, the most pressure is on them. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. But I'm here to ride this fucking ride. And that's what I'm here to say to you right now. That the Eagles believe that to truly win in the Super Bowl, that you need to innovate. We saw this with the Ravens last year. They loaded up on running backs, tight ends, offensive linemen, and ran around and based into Lamar Jackson. What is his skill set? He can bomb it and he can run. Let's build it around that. And they did, and they've got the number one seed in the AFC. Build it around Carson Wentz. He's really good. He can make some incredible throws, but he gets injured. So what did they do? They got a guy that in case that happens, you can keep going. Because that's who they have. And so in the end, it comes down to this. Will the Eagles truly innovate? 
Will they be the first team in NFL history to truly go, we will run an offense with two throwers on the field? I have never seen it work, ever. If they are the first, they will reap the rewards for years to come. We will bow down to them because they have accomplished something that nobody else has. We will cherish and celebrate the boldness of Howie Roseman. Doug Peterson will rise up the ranks as truly one of the smartest offensive coaches ever. And if there is a balance between Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, they will go down as a true duo to be remembered forever. But if it doesn't, I don't have to tell you what happens. You've seen it before. It falls apart. And we're sitting here wondering why. I'm willing to take that risk. Eagles fans, I understand your doubt. But we have a coach and a GM that are truly saying, F it, let's go for it. And I'm down to ride that ride. Thank you guys for listening to the Left Coast Show. Thank you to David Ingber for uh, helping me make all these things and truly being an incredible aid uh, during the NFL draft. Thank you to Connor Rogers for coming on, but also Connor Rogers and Matt Miller for carrying me in the draft and letting me make dumb jokes. Josh McCown is an absolute legend. Follow him on social media. Uh, but most importantly, I want to say thank you to the production team that helped me with the podcast every time that we do one and also the draft. From Pellegrino Steinmetz to Nikki G to Van Reith to Gabe Gomez to George to Kristen um, to McKean to uh, Alan to Mark, there are so many people. Tyler, tons of people. Thank you. Because uh, believe me when I say that I had time to reflect this weekend and we are all going through some shit. And the only reason that I'm getting through this shit is because I'm getting able to make shit. And the only reason I get to make shit is because you guys have built the foundation. So thank you. Love you guys. Hit me up on social. I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man. Holla, holla, holla. At you later. Peace.